my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy. I'm Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy World Stationery Day, Joe. Have a pet. Thank you. Today's today's 420, James, and there's been a lot of really terrible things that have happened on 420, including all the stoners of the world thinking it's hilarious. So I'll take a pen. I'm in the United Kingdom. It's 24 where I am. Oh, right. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Even better. Coming up on today's show, I played in my very first UK IPT. It had been three plus years. I think maybe four plus years. I haven't actually done the math on when I was there last, but it, it was would a have while. Been December 2018, so just over three years. Just over three years since I'd been to London, and it was a trip to remember. There was poker and comedy and lots of alcohol. <laughs> James and I ran around Leicester Square. I'll be recapping some of the poker and all of the shenanigans in just a little bit. Um, obviously, hand in hand with me playing live poker, uh, when I was playing the UK IPT, UK IPT I experienced uh, all 76 kinds of tilt. 76? Um, okay, so that's something I learned from high performance coach and uh, corporate performance expert, Coach Bauman. He actually has an article about the six kinds of tilt. I'm pretty sure I discovered at least 70 more <laughs> while playing at UKIVT London. Uh, but Coach Bauman is the guest on today's show, which is great because there's yet another person I will be able to complain to for free. I'm sure he can't wait. Uh, what do we got? We got the scoop. The scoop on Scoop 2022 also coming up in today's show, plus details of a few live poker events that were announced recently. It is all coming, flooding back. And of course, there was another doozy of a Sunday million on Monday night. We'll recap ever so briefly. And we'll also be joined by our newest super fan, Scott Barnett, who will be slapping me in the face with his knowledge <laughs> of slap shot. I finally did get through this movie after trying for about six or seven years. More on that later. Yeah. Before we get to any of that stuff, I we got to talk about some stuff from Twitter. This is a last minute addition to the show. Oh, God. Is this related to Elon Musk and the poison pill no. thing? This, this no. whole attempted takeover of Twitter, by the way, is like succession only really shit and with characters who are somehow even less likable than the Roy family. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of go back and forth on Elon and, you know, obviously live has become really live breeze, become really good friends with Elon. And so I try to cut us some extra slack because I, at least at one point was really good friends with live. Anyway, I'm not going to no, it has nothing to do with Elon. Okay. Has to do with the fact that I actually did like a poker related joke on Twitter last week. That went, or maybe it was earlier this week. I don't remember. That kind of went well. I just noticed that every time somebody wins a poker tournament, they're always like, oh, I just want to say what a well-run event it was. I'm like, I just want to win a poker tournament so I can say what a well-run event it was. <laughs> Got a bunch of likes. Brian Koppelman replied to me and said, this is a perfect tweet. And that's still something that makes me happy, right? Like Brian's a fucking fantastic writer. I look up to him quite a bit. Getting attention from a blue check mark um, means something to me. A couple Bless of days you later, for still being excited about getting a tweet from someone. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I definitely just still like tickles me that that he no that he noticed me, right? So a couple of days later, Norman Chad tweets a joke about um, a sequel to Rounders 
being called. Um, I think you saw this. Tweet, I right? saw being this called- because he's hammering this bit hard, and I'll be honest with you. And I love Norman Chad to bits, but I'm kind of like it's weak sauce. Right. So his whole bit is that the, the sequel to Rounders is going to be about Raz, Raz and yeah. he says like it's going to be called Raz Rounders to Raz Rush. To which I reply, oh, if the movie's about Raz, I assume it's a movie where all the people involved are trying to make the lowest box office possible. Oh, nice. Yes, which I think is like a pretty fucking funny joke. And then like that does all right. It gets like a couple likes here and there. And then Brandon Shaq Harris, who I like very much and I would like to have as a guest on the show eventually, writes to me, this joke should have done way, way better. And I'm like, I agree. It should have gotten more. And then Norman chimes in saying, well, like, don't worry, Stapes. I'm going to hire an airplane to fly over Los Angeles with this tweet for you. And Brian Koppelman liked that tweet, but not my original tweet with the good joke in it. So now I'm kind of like, why didn't you like the joke? If why didn't you like the, my joke? is the about kind Rad? of shit that you have to worry about. Your life is way, way, way too privileged. <laughs> yes, it is. I completely agree with you. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. I thought it was awkward that Brian... Anyway. Get your small I'm, violin out, Joe. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, it's here. Uh, okay, so I, I have one confession to make, and I'm surprised that you didn't call me out on this. Maybe you just ignored it, but do you remember last week I sent you like a screenshot of something and it said might be worth talking about on the podcast? Oh my You're on God. vacation. Actually, it was sorry, two weeks ago. Sorry if I ignored it. I apologize. That's okay. No, so what happened was Shaniac, uh, former former poker stars online player, um, does this Twitter thread about documentaries, right? And then he tweeted about this poker, a documentary about the the um, the famous aces and eights hand um, th- th- that it was like, you know, and then had all these people in the poker world listed as like interviewees including my name i assumed that was a spoof it was a spoof but i didn't know it i fucking hate april fool's day i totally not james not only did i fall for this april fool's (laughs) joke of this being a real movie my name is listed as one of the people in the documentary and i was like i don't remember ever talking about this but i guess i did at some point oh my god i didn't even know you fell for a joke where they thought said you were in this documentary. You think you would know, right? If I, I guess, you know, you may forget every podcast you've done an interview for. If a documentary is going to talk to you about a hand played in the Wild West, that would stand out, right? It would. It would, but because it had Poker Central written on it, I was like, I guess they must have just like taken some soundbite of mine from something else because, you know, I figure like other people. Okay. But that's... That's Joe, how fucking dumb I am. I would spend more time worrying about the state of your brain than I would worrying about whether Brian Copperman's going to like my jokes. So I I just stand by the fact that I fucking hate April Fool's Day. I fell for two April Fool's Day jokes on April Fool's Day, despite being on the lookout for them. Anyway, well played, Shaniac. He and I had lunch yesterday, and he was like, yeah. I was like, what's with that documentary? He's like, dude, that was an April Fool's Day bit. <laughs> if you click on the link, it takes you to the IMDb page of April Fool's Day. Now, and I was like, oh, God damn it. Now I remember why I didn't react when you texted that to me and said, oh, we should talk about this on the podcast. I'm thinking, not, not the greatest joke in the world, Joe. I'm not quite sure whether this deserves any headline. <laughs> I thought it was real. 
and I thought I was in it and just didn't know it. That's how fantastical my brain is. And like, I'm just in movies I don't even remember doing. Yeah, yeah. All right. So speaking of movies, I, I was sick last week. I talked about this on the Sunday Million. I, I had COVID like two weeks ago. I'd get back from London. Crazy ass science infection. Way worse than COVID was. But I did get to watch a lot of stuff. Um, I did watch on the plane on the way back. I finally saw Pig. I don't know if you ever had a chance to watch that. I didn't know. Um, that's the one, you know, with uh, Nicolas Cage where he's uh, his pig gets kidnapped and it's. Oh, is it when Nicolas like- Cage plays Nicolas Cage? No, that is the unbearable weight of massive talent that hasn't opened yet. Okay, Pig is the one where like everyone's like Nicolas Cage is back. It's a it's a masterful performance, and you know it's right. got a silly premise, but it's actually a pretty well thought out movie and interesting. Uh, it's like John Wick set in the food world, but you said no, there's no violence. It's just more of a more of a talky thing. But um, it, it's good. It is good. It, it's one of those things that people uh, was pretty good. Um, Severance wrapped up. I don't know if that's uh, if you're going to. I know that we've talked about this before. That's fine. I really enjoyed season one of Severance. Looking forward to that. Super pumped is over. Loved, love, love that. The story of Uber. Uh, it looks like it's going to be just a one season thing, like a limited series, which I think was perfect. Um, did you have you finished out Billions yet or no? I bailed on it, buddy. Halfway yeah, through no the new season. For you. No, I'm afraid yeah. not. I just. No offense to Corey Stoll, who I think is a great actor. I just don't buy that character. I don't find him interesting. I think without the whole Damian Lewis, Paul Giamatti face off, the show's kind of lost its heart. I know they're trying to keep it going, but it's not for me, I'm afraid. All right, fair enough. Um, and that's it. I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of uh, well, looking for a couple of new things to watch. I did watch a, a movie called Night House based on someone on Discord. I'm so sorry. I'm blanking on your name right now. Um, uh, I, I didn't love Night House, but uh, I'm, I'm still down to, to try some new stuff. Well, as you said, you kind of went over a lot of the stuff you'd watched. And we also talked about yeah. Narcos Mexico on, on the live stream. As ever, uh, when we were streaming the Sunday Million on Monday night, I kind of leave you at around 11 o'clock and sometimes I'm like gone and within three hands or within 10 minutes it's over this one went on a bit right I think it went on past midnight UK time past 1am central European time uh, because I think there were still five or six players left when I departed Um, and I guess they played it out right to the end they played out right to the end, and which uh, w- hasn't happened in a while in uh, Sunday Million. There were two relatively skilled heads-up players who uh, ended up getting to the final two, and so that did take a little while. Good pace of play. Um, sadly, it's like you know a little bit more difficult for me when it's two good heads-up players. Uh, but luckily, we had Griffin there to uh, to get us through. And uh, eventually, I mean, I, I'd say they, they both played really well. Heads up. There was just like a slight card distribution thing that that favored one of the two players. And uh, it, it, it wasn't too painful, but it was a very good heads up match. If you like heads up poker, I would recommend going back and watching these two play heads up because I think there's some stuff to be learned from it. So our next Sunday Million stream is on Monday. 25th of April. Then, of course, we've got Monte Carlo coming up, and we'll talk more about that on next week's podcast. And then we get into Scoop, and that's the big headline of today, Joe, because we've had the dates 
in our calendars for some time. We all knew that Scoop was going to run from the 8th of May to the 1st of June, but we didn't have the full schedule of events. That was released yesterday. If you open the PokerStar software, you'll see there is now the Scoop section of the lobby live. You'll see all 318 tournaments that are running over the three and a half week series. And yeah, we are going to be streaming Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, most weeks of the series. I say most weeks because, let's be honest, right? We've got Monte Carlo. We're going to come back after the weekend of the 7th, 8th. We are going to need at least 24 to 48 hours to recover before we get into the scoop streets. So I think it's going to be Wednesday, the 11th of May, when we'll have our first scoop stream, which is going to be a 10K final table. As we've been doing with a lot of the online events, in recent years, we'll focus on the big buy-ins. So, for example, the 25K Super High Roller, that's wow. definitely going to be on our radar. And we are going to have three consecutive days of coverage of the No Limit Holder main event that concludes the series. So it's a 10K buy-in, starts on the last Sunday of the series. So on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you can watch them play through the bubble, watch them play to the final table, and of course, we'll have the final table itself. We're going to solely focus on the No Limit Holder main event this year. There are going to be final table replays exclusive to Twitch, which will focus on some of the non-Holden variants. And that means that the 10K PLO main event will be a final table replay on cool. the final day of the series. That's Wednesday, the 1st of June. Now, I think everyone's got used at this point to our start time, right? Whenever we stream online poker, whether it's WCOOP, whether it's Scoop, whether it's the Sunday Million... Whatever, wherever you are in the world, it's always half past the hour. It's half six UK time, half seven Central European time, half one in the afternoon Eastern time. If you look in the lobby, you'll notice that the start time for the marquee events in the Spring Championship of Online Poker are earlier. So because of that, when you factor in the 30-minute delay, we are going to be going live a little bit earlier. Okay. That means top of the hour rather than bottom of the hour. So that's 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. UK time, 7 p.m. Central European time. On the hour is when we go live. So don't miss the start because otherwise you'll miss... All of this, by the way, is being directed to me, not to you, the audience. James is like, Stapes, we're starting a half hour earlier. Write it down. Keep it in your head. This is All of this is for the benefit of me right now. That is very true. And of course, <laughs> that applies to anyone wanting to play Scoop as well. This is not me just right. talking right. to you, the co-commentator, and to anyone who wants to watch the streams. If you want to play these events, and I think this is a positive change, starting a little bit earlier means that the events should finish earlier. So fewer yeah. late nights, and that means hopefully people won't be as knackered because it's a long series. And again, Scoop's single biggest selling point is it is the series that's accessible to everyone. And this time around, you've got buy-ins from as little as $2.20. You've got cool. the low, the medium, and the high buy-in tiers for most events. So everyone can play the level that they're comfortable with. They can play the scoop that they want to play. And whilst when it comes to streaming, we tend to focus on the highs, or in a couple of cases, the mediums, where we do the Sunday Million Special Editions. But 
of course, there are plenty of low events to play. And suffice to say, there are going to be the scoop leaderboards where there will be the low player of the series, the medium player of the series, the high player of the series, and the overall player of the series. And of course, Joe, in addition to our usual commentary team, Sam Grafton, Maria Ho, Griffin Benjamin, Nick Walsh, we are going to have Howard Swains be a part of our coverage. Make sure we get that daily update from Howard on where things stand in the series and covering some of the winners and come some of the tournaments that we're not streaming. I, I love just torturing Howard and making him appear on camera for five minutes every day. It's, it's, a, it's the highlight of my scoop, personally. So, that scoop, in case you missed it, because this was announced while we were on our vacation, whilst I we see who I am. I hanging around in London, and then of course I was abroad last week. Um, the date of the PSPC finally confirmed. Now, just to be clear, this is the second time this 25k event has run. The first time was in 2019. Yeah. Uh, fast forward to August of that year, we announced the second PSPC, and because of the pandemic, it's been postponed a couple of times. We now have the dates and the location locked in. We discussed this on Monday's stream. The Pokestars Players No Limit Hold'em Championship is going back to the Caribbean. It is going to be part of PCA 2023, which will be in a new location. It's going to be at Bahama, a luxury resort in Nassau, and it's going to be taking place in late January. So the PCA dates, uh, the full festival, uh, the dates to be confirmed soon with the full schedule published soon, but the PSPC will be January 30th to February 3rd. So those are the dates for the PSPC and should highlight that there will be opportunities very soon still to win Platinum Passes, both live and online. Highlighting the fact that because this was effectively a promotion that launched in the summer of 2019, nearly 300 people have already won Platinum Passes. They're sitting there waiting to find out when they actually get to compete. Now they know when it is, and crucially, they know where they're going, Joe. What I'm very excited about, first of all, I'm excited about a new venue. Now, are you saying... Baha Mar or Bar Mar Har? Because with your accent, it's hard to it's hard to tell. Bar Mar Har, Baha Mar, Baha Mar, Baha Mar. Mar. Yes. Okay. Um, Second of all, I am so glad that, and I'm sure we're getting this too, that more EPT stops and the PSPC have been announced. You know why, James? Because everything that I knew about is now public knowledge. I can (laughs) finally fucking breathe a sigh of relief i can't fuck anything up i can't accidentally say anything everything i know gang is out there in the open i know nothing else you're right joe we did also announce a couple of further ept stops for 2022 no big surprise that it's barcelona in august and prague in december these are staples of the tour but the Barcelona dates, August 8th to 21st. Prague dates, 7th to the 18th of December. And suffice to say, you can expect live coverage of those two EPT events. And further to that, the UKIPT two further stops have been confirmed. We've cool. just had London. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Dublin has been announced. And there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is the UKIPT is going to the Irish capital and will be there from May 16th to 22nd. The bad news is Joe and I were really hoping to go, but what did we just talk about? Scoop. And the fact that we are going to be streaming Scoop. 
there is a clash there, unfortunately, and it means we can't make it to this particular event. I kind of am a little bit bummed out about that. I really wanted to go to UKIPT Dublin. But hey, if you don't have that commitment, if you're not going to be streaming Scoop, knock yourself out. May 16th to 22nd is when the UK and Ireland Poker Tour goes to Dublin. The other event is what I like to call a Nexus event because it's Ooh. where the UKIPT meets the Australia's Poker Tour. Both Ooh. tours coming together in Malta for the Poker Stars Summer Festival. And this one coincides with when I'm likely to go on holiday, which is June 18th to 26th. Now, I'm not saying that they need to consult me and ensure that I don't have any <laughs> clashes before they actually confirm me to it. Actually, that's exactly what I'm saying right now. Unlikely that I'll be able to go to Malta. But again, if you're not going on holiday in mid-June or if you want to make a po poker holiday your summer vacation, June 18th to 26th is when that summer festival is taking place in Malta. So that's the PSPC, the EPT and the UKIPT. Of course, Joe, we were both at that most recent UKIPT, and it gives me the opportunity to play this music that we haven't played in forever. Yes, the Hippodrome hosted the UK and Ireland Poker Tour at the beginning of April. Uh, Joe, Obviously, you spent a lot of time in London. You lived here for a while. You made numerous trips here, always for work. What was it like actually coming back to the UK? And I guess there's an element of work. You've got to like, you know, press the flesh with the fans. But this was this was a holiday, right? Yeah, I mean, look, what, what do they say? I'm very, very lucky in my life and that my job is a lot less like work than it is for most people, right? So the parts of this that were work-like are things I enjoy. I enjoy doing stand-up comedy. I enjoy hanging out with fans for a little bit, all four of them who showed up to our movie night. Um, you know, it, 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 it wasn't, I wouldn't say, I definitely wasn't working. It wasn't a vacation, only because as I usually do, I crammed it chock full of things, morning, noon, and night. I'd spent, you know, a little over three years in London, I had a lot of friends to see. A lot of people were important to me. A lot of ex-girlfriends in London that I wanted to catch up with. Um, I wanted to catch up with you and our boss, Francine. It was really nice to uh, to get to have lunch with you guys. So there was a lot going on uh, where it was definitely... Uh, first of all, can I say what a well-run event it was? <laughs> even, no, because you even, didn't win it. Even though I did not win it. Uh, yeah, so there was a lot going on. I guess maybe we should start with... Pretty early on in my trip, the only time I got to hang out with you yes. was on the Wednesday, and we did movie night. And I will say, James, that on the just sort of being in Leicester Square, everyone's it's well known at this point that, you know, smell is the sense most closely linked to memory. And the smells of London really affected me emotionally. Uh, coming back after, you know, I've been gone from London nearly as long as I live there. So the smell of like European cigarettes and the smell of like, I know it's gross, but like, you know, just sort of spilled beer um, and, you know, all the weird fast food that goes on in Leicester Square. All of that really took me back to when I, you know, I spent a significant amount of time in Leicester Square when I was coming back and forth to London. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. And that was the only day we got to hang out. I mean, as previously advertised, I couldn't play UKIPT London. I did go away that weekend. I was abroad in Finland for a week. Uh, but I'm glad we got to hang out. And hey, I'm glad we got to see Rounders on the big screen. I've never seen it in a cinema before. I also hadn't seen it in a few years. Now, I know a couple of years back, we did a retrospective review of Rounders for this podcast. But you might remember, we did the version of the movie with the professional poker player commentary track. Right. So it wasn't really a proper watching of the movie. So this time was just focusing on the story, focusing on the characters, focusing on the dialogue. And it's a really fun movie, despite the fact that the female character is a little bit weak. But overall, it's a solid movie. It's just a really, really sharp screenplay, a rewatchable. I don't care if you're a poker fan or not. It's just a very good movie that has the has the ups and downs and everything happening exactly where it's supposed to to sort of keep you engaged the entire time um super fun that this event was organized i just want to say they had open bar for us at the movie theater there was free snacks so everyone's just kind of getting a little pissed uh getting a little drunk getting a little nostalgic watching this movie i remember me being like a little a little like getting a little drunk and nostalgic leading over to you just being like this movie's so good it's just such a just such a tight screenplay um the people who came out for it was really great to see them there's some great photos that were taken of that night i really really had a lot of fun at that screening and i love that the the folks that organize ukipts do stuff like that to to you know to say hey there's stuff going on besides poker let's put some other things on absolutely but we need to talk about the poker because I then <laughs> left town. You got yeah. to play and I know that you didn't win the yeah. main event. But outside of that, I don't know. And Joe, I need to know. You need to know. All right. Well, I'm going to save you guys all the gory details, all the rundown of all the statistics of how bad it went. Um, and part of that is because I realize people are sick of it. But part of it is that I'm I'm becoming okay with it. I'm I'm somehow did like a bit of a reset in my mind where I'm like, yes, most people aren't going to cash most poker tournaments. So I'm trying to forget that I haven't cashed my last 12 and just focusing on the fact that I didn't cash in these three, um, which is perfectly reasonable uh, for for a poker trip to just not cash any event. The only like little annoying statistics I will I will just continue on with is that my setless streak continues um, I still haven't flopped a set in, I don't know, a year, uh, whatever it is, my last 10, 12, 15 live poker tournaments. The good news is I only missed one flush draw <laughs> on this trip. The bad news is that I only flopped one flush draw over the course of four bullets in three different tournaments. Um, and it was for my tournament life. I, I, I had something like seven or eight big blinds and got to peel like five ways with three, four of hearts. And it came ace, deuce of hearts and it came brick, brick <gasps> street flash board, Joe. Yeah. Street flash. I missed the street. I missed the flash. I miss everything. I missed, I missed even making a pair. Um, so overall it was, I played the main 1100 one bullet busted that about 10 from the money on a flip. Uh, I did two bullets in the 440 bounty and one bullet in the 340 bounty. Um, I did in the main event, you know, so all my significant hands, I sit there and I send them to Maria. In the main event, I did make two mistakes. 
Okay. Uh, at least, right? Uh, possibly more. Uh, one was, uh, I, I, I guess I called uh, like with Queen 10 in position one hand when I had like probably 30 big blinds and Maria said she probably would just not have played that hand. Um, and I am calling down with two pair and a four card straight board. And she was like, yeah, after you called pre-flop, it kind of played itself. Another was, and this is something that I need to get better at. And I think because eventually people will learn this about me. I have pocket tens like in level three of the main event. And I was in the small blind and it went uh, raise, re-raise before it got to me in the small. And instead it felt, it felt tens felt too good to fold. I felt like getting it all in, in level three with two tens was like, I would get laughed at if I was like up against like Kings or Queens and I just called and I ended up getting bluffed off of like a nine high board um, by another player with pocket tens on um, when they shoved the turn. And Maria was like, yeah, you probably should have just ripped the tens in pre-flop. It's no big deal there. So um, I was happy to have made some mistakes because at least there's a lesson to Agreed. be learned in making mistakes. So that was good. Luckily, I could not re-enter the main event because I had my comedy show the next day. So um, I was only stuck 1,100 there. I took two shots at the 440 mystery bounty, but I was a little bit irritated because about two-thirds of the way through day one, right? So the way it works is that in the mystery bounty, there's no bounties till day two. Right. Because the registration's closed, you're already in the money, and now you're doing mystery bounties. So you got to make it through day one to cash to get to the bounties about two-thirds of the way through day one brandon comes by and drops a special celebrity mystery bounty on me <laughs> and i'm just like hey who who decided this and he named the person that poker stars who decided and i like this person very much so i'm not going to throw them under the bus but i was like is so and so going to give me my 440 pounds back because now people are going to play different against me, right? Like these mystery bounties have between 200 and 1,000 pounds in PokerStars credit. Wow. So I I was actually having a pretty good day in this event. Um, and just the same thing happened to me in, in almost every event was that I had like a pretty decent stack at one point. Never big. I think I had like 40 or 50 big blinds. Um in this one. And I always just get in these situations where like I raise ace king, somebody shoves like 18 big blinds into me. I call, they have aces. And now I have 18 big blinds. You know, I have 22 big blinds. So, um, basically that happened in this tournament. And then I was like looking for shove spots. I shove ace 10 suited. I get called by ace five in the big blind five on the river. I'm out. And the guy's like, Oh yeah, I only called because of the bounty. So what oh, stings? It does sting a little bit. So that was that was a little frustrating. Um, basically, long and the short of it, main event bust ten from the money. First bullet in the mystery bounty, I bust ten from the money. Second bullet in the mystery event, I bust about fifteen from the money. And then the one day bounty event on Sunday my last chance to win anything was a 240 plus a hundred dollar bounty a not mystery bounty and it was really fun I got to play Spraggy was at my table for like a couple hours that was super fun uh, I didn't really make any hands went out about 10 or 15 from the money in that particular oh, event I, I it, sense your frustration 
Yeah, and so and that one, if you guys want to see my bust out hand from that event, that one was really frustrating because um, I was just like looking for a spot to get it in, blinding down eight big blinds, nine big blinds, whatever, and ended up shoving from pretty early position with King Queen and get called in two spots by Ace Seven and Ace Nine, <clears throat> and much like the last time I played at the Hippodrome, the guy to my left goes, "I folded an ace." So the uh, the dealer, boom, king, right in the window. I have king, queen, king, right in the window. There's almost no chance I can lose this hand. Ace, right behind it. So the case ace, because, Joe, there is always, always an ace on the desk. Always an ace on the desk. So frustrating week of poker, but uh, some other fun activities happened, including the comedy night. Um, and this is really the best part of the trip for me. Yeah. Uh, was getting to see so many people again. So many folks came out and supported comedy. I'd say like 30 people minimum showed up. Uh, people that I've played with in pub leagues before, like Sam. I don't know if you remember Sam Pie. Pie Face himself was there. Raksha was there. Uh, Poker Biatch. I don't know if you uh, have seen her making the rounds on the social media. Her name is Shazza. Yep. Um, Shazza Phelps was there. I don't want to leave people out there. So many people came out to support Um Really, really fun night. And then that night turned into uh, the player party was also at the exact same time. Everyone's really cool that I kind of poached people from the player party. So then we all went from my show over the player party where uh, the star staff had rented out a whole level of this really, I wouldn't say dodgy club, but like it's O'Brien's in Leicester Square. I mean, <laughs> it just a just a complete shit show, right? Just like absolute shit show, but super fun. Dancing and um, the ladies who put on the event, Deb and Mary Faye and Arena, they they went around and just found random girls to give free drinks wristbands to because uh, our tab wasn't getting used. Just a super, super fun night. And this is where um, I need to tell the story of my nemesis. So Your nemesis. So I'm t- at this point. It's twelve thirty, and me and my 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 friends' friends, right? Like not just poker people, but people I've known who lived in London came out for a couple of years. It's like a group of five or six of us. I'm not going to name names because it's kind of a Sandy the Degenerate story, okay. other than me being involved. It's twelve thirty, and we're all old at this point, right? We're like, let's get the fuck out of here. Like nobody here is like trying to bone down or snog somebody in this club. Let's go back. Now I put I always book this hotel, James, when it's up to me. That the company used to put me in years ago where there's a 24-hour bar and hot tub on the roof. And their whole thing is, we're a, we're a boutique hotel. We want you to have fun. Yes, this is a party hotel. Come party here. So me and a few people, we go back to my hotel. And as I'm getting there, every night this week, I've been getting back to the hotel at like 2, 3, 4 in the morning because of poker. And when I get to the hotel two or three times already this week, the door's locked. And I've got to call a number and it's kind of a pain in the ass and dial two. And then the night manager has to come let me in. The night manager was a funky, fucking grumpy twat. Can I say that? Every time I would come home, he would act like I woke him up to, to be let back into the hotel, which is annoying, right? Annoying. The first night I came home, I was like, hey, man, do you guys still do 24-hour food? No. So I'm like kind of annoyed. So we're at, this, we're at the rooftop bar. And we're making friends with people. I ordered some pizzas. I ordered some bottles of champagne. I'm doing my thing. And um, one of the girls who's with us is like, I, re- I really want to get in that hot tub. She's like, that hot tub's just sitting there. Like, let's go. Let's get in the hot tub. And 
the bartender is, is like, it, yeah. Is it just yeah. me? Or when you say hot tub, are we talking absolute bacteria fest? Probably, but there's no one in it. It's like covered up. It's, you know. No, it's it's like how often do you think the water in that thing gets replaced? I, I have seen it clean. From what I understand, it's supposed to be uh, cleaned. Uh, they say daily, but who knows? That seems a little far-fetched, but. Personally, there is nothing less appealing on this planet to me than communal jacuzzis and hot tubs. I would say it's a lot less appealing if you see other people in it, but I hadn't seen anyone in it yet. Anyway, I, I, I get your point, but sometimes the fun overrides that sort of... But who knows? Maybe this is where I got my sinus infection. Was- I, I'm going to say, is it coincidence that you returned and were really <laughs> sick for a week? I don't think so. So the bartender's like, yes, absolutely. That's what it's there for. Go ahead. And I remember the first time I checked into this hotel, probably back in like 2011, and the, the doorman was like, you uh, uh, swimming costume is not required in the hot tub. Just make sure you wear a robe to and from your room. So this girl, my friend, just totally strips down naked, gets in the hot tub. I'm the next one in. I get down into my underwear. Then one of the other girls we were with, she doesn't want to get naked, so she just gets in with all of her clothes on. <laughs> and then a, a, one of the guys we're with gets in also. And then we're having a fine time in the hot tub. Not not. Not being animals, just, you know, doing normal hot tub things. And then I look her and the night sorry. manager. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Define normal hot tub things. Uh, there's like some lap sitting, some clinking glasses, some giggling. Some, you know, there's nothing like it, it's all very PG. Um, okay. okay. Other, other than the, the nudity, but it's Europe. Well, it used to be Europe. So, but all of a sudden I turn around and the night manager standing behind the hot tub with his arms crossed. Right. And he's like, come here. So now I get out. I'm all fat, wet, hairy, dripping, standing in like the freezing cold of the London night, getting shouted at by the night manager who's like, the hot tub is for hotel guests. You are a hotel guest. They are not. You all need to get out now. And James, you've seen me in these sorts of situations. I'm a very polite person, right? I don't argue. I go, hey, sorry, I didn't realize. I've stayed here many times. That's never been the case. I've always had a really fun time here. Didn't mean you any disrespect. Okay, we're going to get out. It's going to be a minute because I don't have any towels for everybody. I'm going to go to my room and get some towels. First of all, I thought he should have said, I'll bring you some towels. He didn't. Um, So then he leaves, and I go break the bad news to everybody. And uh, I'm telling them they need to get out. And then all of a sudden, the bartender who gave us permission comes over and he was like, you don't have to get out. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, that's this is not his bar. This is my bar. And at this point, I realized that I had ordered six bottles of champagne previous to this. And they probably liked me as a customer at this point. So we finish out our time in the hot tub, at which point the naked girl says to me, can I stay in your room? Now, I have a girlfriend. My girlfriend is very understanding of these this particular hot tub situation. I'm talking about this on the air. I don't really have any secrets from her. I'm like, I don't I'm I don't think you could stay in I my think room. At that point the line is being crossed. Exactly. But then the other girl who is in all of her wet clothes is like, "Can I also stay in your room?" And I was like, "Actually, this is fine. The two of you can stay in my room." Because there's absolutely no way that anything untoward is going to happen with the both of you there. This logic is ludicrous. It's it's perfect logic. Like one girl's kind of shady. Two girls like, no, it's just like some people crashed in my room. 
I literally am not following this. I don't <laughs> see how adding an extra girl, how effectively constructing a three-way makes this suddenly acceptable. Yeah, because it's not a three-way. It's just three people. It's like it's not even comfortable. It's just like three people crammed into a bed. So we we go we go back to my room. They both fall asleep very quickly. I end up staying up and watching the Naked Gun by myself for a while. Fall asleep. <laughs> okay, now this sounds super innocent and super yes. lame. Yes, and so I wake up about seven in the morning, and one of the girls is gone. The girl who had been in all her clothes is gone. I fall back asleep. Wake up about nine o'clock. Other girls woken up, reminiscing. She's like collecting her things, whatever. And all of a sudden, my door bursts open, and the first girl is back. And I'm like, "Where have you been?" Because I woke up and you were gone. And she said that she woke up in the middle of the night and was trying to find the bathroom, went into the hallway, couldn't figure out which room was mine, and went and slept in another bed. <laughs> found an open door, slept in another bed in a different room, woke up, and then I said, well, how did you get back in here? She said, I still couldn't remember what room you were in, so I went down to the front desk, clearly in like almost no clothes, said, my friend Joe Stapleton is staying here. I'm in his room. What room is he in? She comes back, and I go, how'd you get back into my room? And she's like, oh, I just left your door open. Is it any time. wonder that the staff of this hotel consider you a monumental pain in the ass and don't like you? Exactly. And so when I had all these plans about complaining about the night manager, <laughs> when I left, and I just fucking left as fast as possible. I did like the, the room checkout and then just bolted, like not making eye contact with anybody for the rest of the entire trip. In summary, super fun <laughs> trip. Very expensive. Still haven't run hot for even one day in over two years. However, if you think about my life outside of the poker table, yeah. I am running pretty fucking good. You can. And when it comes to the poker, as advertised previously, you can offload on this week's guest because we have with us Barman Zagami, better known as Coach Barman, a member of the Razor Edge team. Uh, a coach who's worked with high-stakes cash game players and tournament pros. He's been a performance coach since 2012, specializing in, and I quote here, intellectual giftedness and high sensitivity. Well, he's with us right now. Coach Barman, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, guys. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. It's, I mean, what can I say? Uh, I've been listening to you guys for years now. TV, Twitch, YouTube. Oh, wow. I mean, uh, it's, it's, my, it's my honor, really. So, all right. I'm sorry if you have to do this all the time, but I figured, you know, you're you're doing us the, the favor of coming on the show. We can do you the favor of getting the coach bombing sort of business card out there. What is it exactly that you do? And is it like Wendy from Billions? Because I need everything to be dumbed down into like TV sort of comparisons, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, very simply put, um, uh, coaching uh, in the traditional sense is just accelerating your growth towards your goals. So everybody has some things that they would like to achieve. And if you do it together with somebody who has experience in many people who have been through a process towards goals, then he can help you about some pitfalls, some obstacles, some things that I've seen with client A or B, something that I read in a book. Or, hey, uh, you promised you would have done this thing this week and you didn't. And there's a lot of different ways that you can help somebody. And, and usually 
pretty much simply comes down to you want to achieve something. Uh, I find it difficult to do it on my own. So I'd like to talk to an expert who uh, has a lot of achieving something with people in his uh, experience. So how did you fall into this role? I mean, is there like a, a coaching academy? Is there a coaching school that people go he to? He has a doctorate in coaching. <laughs> uh, very involuntarily. I absolutely hated <laughs> everything about this when I started. Um, I was young. I worked in the music industry and I was failing miserably. But I loved the attention and the nightlife and the drinking. So obviously... <laughs> I'm listening. Uh, go on, go on. <laughs> it's very much like poker, actually. Yeah. So it's fun. Uh, I was failing, but it was still fun. Um, but then I discovered uh, um, a place where I had to go and intern to, to get a degree to sort of satisfy my fiance at the time. Uh, my wife now told me, maybe you should just go to school <laughs> because I don't think this is going to work out. I was like, all right, okay. So then I got an internship at a youth community center and they told me, hey, all your music stuff that you're doing, cool. Maybe you want to do some music stuff with the kids here. I was like, okay, if that gets me the degree, whatever. So I started there and I helped kids get access to music material and equipment who usually would not get this. And I developed a couple of personal relationships with these kids. Uh, some of them super smart, some of them not so smart, but everybody going through life differently. And I noticed uh, I kind of enjoy sort of talking with these kids and helping them in some weird way that I had no experience in back then. And then my mentor at the time said, well, I'm going to quit in like a couple months and I kind of want you to take over. I was like, uh, I'm okay. I think I'll pass on that one. <laughs> and then, you know, six months later, I was like, you know what? Sorry, why were you reluctant to do it? Because you didn't feel qualified or you just didn't like yeah. it that much? or? Uh, Pretty much the qualification part was, okay. was a, a huge, a huge issue I felt. And I was training on the job. So I was getting a lot of counseling trainings and workshops and day training. So I was getting slowly prepared into that role as a counselor, community counselor. But I just definitely did not feel qualified enough to actually help people with serious problems. Um, but yeah, he saw something in me and, and I, I, I was happy he saw that because eventually I grew into that role. And then I discovered my passion is giftedness and i went to a school for dropout gifted kids and that's where i developed my interest in high sensitivity and intelligence and that's where sort of it all connected with the elite poker players in our community who usually are uh quite smart and sensitive and emotional and sometimes slightly on the, the autistic spectrum here and there sure. so uh that's where everything came together and it's like i want to help these guys i was going to ask where the poker part comes into it was it a game that you were already playing was it something you're already a fan of or did you just see oh here's a niche market that i can bring my skill set to oh yeah it saved my life multiple times um my parents were refugees from iran and we went to holland and things kind of fell apart from there for our family so uh that led me to make a couple of pretty uh pretty pretty bad decisions and uh got me homeless for like two years so one of my friends who is now still in the circuit, I think he got sixth in the EPT one time, Stravko Duvnia. Uh, he told me, hey, you know what? Try this poker thing. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. I don't know. This, And I got to around like 50, 100 an L and I was doing okay enough to pay my bills. Definitely not good enough to like legitimately, you know, make a career out of it. But it helped me get by. And then when yeah. I got my first house, uh, I binked a $22 rebuy. And that was a pretty <laughs> awesome moment. Like, wow, this must mean something. So... Uh, I kind of fixed myself up from that. I really wish that there had been uh, you around when I was a kid. Um, it's going to sound like I'm tooting my own horn a little bit. 
I always tested super highly and was like always put in the gifted category, but my sensitivity um, made it really difficult for me to do the programs that they wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like scared. I was picked on. Um, and it was really difficult. I had the support of my parents, obviously, who are like, you're a very special boy and things are going to be good for you when you grow up. But like when you're a kid, like that doesn't really help. Like it doesn't really help when like all the kids that are your age, like kind of hate you or you feel like they hate you. Um, so where did you, at what point did you transition, uh, from kids to adults? Are you still, uh, working with children as well? Yeah, that's very awesome for you to share that, Joe. Thank you. That's a very common story from clients that I work with. Um, it's incredibly common because being too smart is a learning disability when the curriculum is not made for you, right? If you're too stupid, you're a learning disability. But if you're too smart, you're also deviating from the content that is being delivered to you. And you might potentially get bored or isolate yourself or not uh, be engaged in whatever you need to do. And, and therefore, you kind of get stuck in your development later on in life. You're missing all of these skills like planning, organizing, networking, socializing that you're kind of forced to develop if you go through the, the steps that school has put in front of you. So it's very common, actually. Uh, and I started first with um, up until 16 year olds. And then when I went to the school for dropout kids, uh, the gifted dropouts, that was between 16 and 24. So there were a lot of adults there, uh, especially adults who did horrible at school and were looking for more entrepreneurial ways to make a living like poker, pro gamers, drop shipping, all kinds of kids who were excelling in these sort of niche uh, areas and obviously more and more since there's opportunity in those fields. And that gave me my first shot at, at, at coaching slightly older clients. And then the two years ago, when I finally made the transition to my own business, that was a chance that I had with like uh, legitimate poker players, such as, you know, working with Ben CB was uh, incredible, amazing, was a blessing. Yeah, because you're now part of the Raise Your Edge team. So was that because you worked with Ben CB that he kind of brought you onto the team? Well, it was honestly because, uh, and I love to tell the story, it's it's just, it was a grind to get into the poker community. Right. And I, I, I wasn't expecting it to be um, that difficult because I thought, well, they're all on Twitter. So I just talk with some guys and maybe they want to give me some attention and everybody's like mindset, mindset. But yeah, it took a while to break through. And, and thankfully, one of the people who responded of like, geez, I think over 500 DMs uh, was Ben and said, hey, OK, this is a cool story. Then let's meet and see what you do. And Ben, thankfully, was in that phase of being super deep, which he still is on self-improvement and becoming a better person and not just a poker player. And, and that aligned really together. And then I helped him with the course, made some videos for that, did a webinar. And now PokerStars Learn is, is booming. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing I wanted to highlight is this is kind of very much now a kind of partnership between Raise Your Edge and PokerStars Learn. And I noticed that our Discord channel, where, or Discord server rather, where we have the podcast channels, there are also the PokerStars Learn channels. And I noticed that there is one there dedicated to mindset coaching. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I had the, the honor and the privilege to answer some questions already. And I think it's a huge misconception that people always make that um, mindset content is not relevant for amateurs or people who are starting out in their early career. I think it's even more important when you're starting out to lay some good foundations of how do I want to approach this and how do I do it in a healthy way? Because to be realistic, right, and not to burst anybody's bubble, but 99.9% .9 is not going to make it to where they want to make it. 
Yeah. It's going to be a hobby. It's going to be recreational. It's going to be fun. And that's where we first of all has to set Sorry, that. I would just like it to make it to be fun. <laughs> okay. that, I don't want to be a professional. I just want to get to the point where poker is 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 fun all <laughs> at some point. There is a line if you go to Coach Barman's page on Raise Your Edge Joe, there is a line that will resonate with you where he asks, "Running bad and can't seem to get out of the negative rut." I mean, that is you. That is the perfect description of you right now. Yes, it, 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 look, poker is still kind of fun, but there is that moment every single where I'm. It comes sooner and sooner in the session every time, right? Usually like two hours, and then at some point I'm like, fuck this. And then like next time I play, it's like an hour into it. I'm like, fuck this. Now it's like in the first, I looked out at my first hand, it's Jack Four offsuit. I'm like, this, this fucking shit again. So I'm all ears, buddy. <laughs> I like it, man. And I mean, the Discord is open. You're, you're free. <laughs> yes, yes, you need. Um, yeah, and I think that's what you're saying. That I think every player has gotten to that point before, periodically, or you know, maybe later on, on early in their career. But just things just don't feel right. We're not able to get into a good flow. Everything just seems to be against us. And whatever we do, we can't seem to climb out of that negative rut. And we get into that sooner and sooner as sessions uh, progress. Uh, and I think it's a really dangerous thing to slide into. I think you're smart enough, responsible enough to not destroy your life. But I know there are some people who are, you know, obsessive and capable. Oh, yeah, dude, easily, easily. If I were not, you know, working in this industry and not, you know, didn't have so many positive outlets, um, you know, to be able to vent about these things to be able to still be around poker and have it be you know a guaranteed source of income for me no matter how bad i'm running because i just don't play enough poker for it to be a problem but i have had you know instances in my life before i worked so heavily in the industry where you can just continue throwing good money after bad and like literally tilt off as much as you possibly can before you don't have access to money anymore like it, it, people do have that potential in them myself included Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point that you're bringing up because a lot of the first pieces of content that we're putting out on Pokestars Learn is just about learning to enjoy this game responsibly and not burn through your money, be conservative, use it as a positive outlet. Don't use it as a way to cure boredom or to avoid stress, but see it as an active hobby, which you engage in on a deep mental level that you can go deeper and further if you want to. But literally, let's just make sure we don't get in trouble. We have fun. We play and we don't go broke every two days uh, and, and we enjoy the process. Right. I think that's even for professionals relevant because, I mean, I work with a lot of pros who I, they go broke every two weeks. And these yeah. are elite high, high stakes guys. Right? You guys probably know a couple of them who just they're nuts, but they're incredibly talented. You know? Yeah. The swings so, uh, are real. So let me, um, not to reduce what you do, but I, I do like to make things simple for people. So for me, I have a personal trainer, right? Who every day we get on Zoom and he says, okay, do these 10 squats and he counts them for me. And then he says, now do these things. And really all in all the things he is telling me to do are things that I could probably just look up in a YouTube video or that I could read a book and just do my own workouts. You know, that person there is just sort of like a, an accountability thing, a guide. And they're not always telling you like a magic secret formula. It's pretty logical stuff to do. But just the aspect of having that person across from you telling you step by step what to do, is that similar to what you do where it's like not really magic. There's no like 
do you, do you employ uh, the 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 law of attraction that sort of stuff, or is it really just finite? Hey, like we're just gonna we're just gonna be regimented. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, considering law of attraction, I think there's something valuable in every concept that comes out, no matter how sure. creepy and vague it seems. I think everything has some source of knowledge that you can tap into and you can just disregard the rest of it. Um, but yeah, when it comes down to any form of coaching or teaching or mentorship, you are just pretty much investing in this person to tap into their X amount of years of knowledge that they've built up over their life, whether it's poker coaching, whether it's mindset coaching, whether it's fitness coaching, you could, you know, get access to all of these things that they have learned throughout their life. If you go through all the trainings and books and all the things that he has done in his life, but that's 10, 15 years of knowledge that he amassed over a very long period of life. So you're getting the concentrated result of all of that. Pretty much. Yeah. You're accelerating your growth. That doesn't mean that you will never get to where you want to get without me. I think everybody has the potential to go wherever they want to go, but it might take you a lot longer because all these books right here, like I have a stack of them all. uh, I read them all. And if you want to go read them, go ahead. Uh, Or you could just talk to me and I'll pick out the bits and pieces that are relevant for you. And uh, maybe that'll help you. So I'm just sniggering so, at the idea of Joe actually reading a book. Ha <laughs> ha, book. Come on. I, I, it's definitely the kind of thing I would do is pay a guy to read books for me. A um, couple of questions just about how your business works in general. Sure. One is, how many clients do you think that you could have at a time and reasonably um, service all of them? Do you have a limit? Do you have uh, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so we, we do groups and we do, uh, and by we, I mean me and my team, we have a couple of coaches on board and we have okay. uh, some some freelancer partners that we have as well who help us on some expert topics. So we do corporate, we do groups, and we do individual. So it really depends on uh, the workload of, of what we do. So in corporate, we're talking more about the performance of working in a corporate environment within that framework. It's obviously very different than, you know, in an individual team uh, or individual sport or maybe even a team sport. Uh, I work with uh, uh, Ascend, that's an esports company from BenCB as well. Um, that was, I think, Razor Edge Gaming before and transitioned into Ascend. So uh, there's a couple of different approaches and different um, programs that we offer to different setups. So if you're an individual group or a corporation, uh, obviously the uh, the workload will be different. It's hard to predict that because obviously if you have a company, you get like 50 clients at one time. And if you have individuals, then you can do uh, a lot more cases, so to speak. So that's that's hard to predict. But I mean, I always try to help as many people as I can. But I also, I'm aware that it's just, it's a lot of studying that I do personally, which is not super responsible business-wise. <laughs> but oh. when I hear something in a session, I just dive into literature for like three, four hours sometimes to come back next week. And I just want to come with a banger every week. I, I don't want to have like a dud session. I, that's really the like the, the the toxic poker mentality that I have of like the sessions always wanting to be in the green and wanting to win and not being able to settle with like uh, you know losing and always. I can't get up loss. until I get even. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> absolutely. Like I, I feel that in, in in sessions as well, where I just I'm chasing my losses. When I feel like it's not resonating or nothing is shifting, I'm gonna chase and, and chase and chase. It's it's yeah. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> well, I have one final question. James may have some more. One final question for you. What is the most hands-on you've ever had to get with a client? Like, if you ever just like had a, like an interview with someone like me, and you're like, "Stapes, 
you're fucked. I gotta move in with you. I gotta. Bu- <laughs> I, we're gonna. We're gonna get bunk beds. I gotta. I gotta shadow you every second of every day. Me and you, buddy. Like I need to know everything that's going on in your life. Like, what's the most you've ever had to get involved? Oh man, my my days as a youth counselor on the street, where I would. Oh, I assume the- there. Yeah, it's yeah. not gonna be as funny a story now. It's gonna be some very some troubled teen that. Uh, that you had yeah. to get involved in, but go, yeah. go well, ahead. It was kind of funny. It was kind of funny. Okay. I wrestled with a lot of these kids on the streets at night when it was causing problems. Uh, I got beat up by a bunch of wild 14 year olds. That was not a very honorable moment of my history, but there were a lot of them. Uh, and um, yeah, I got guns pulled on me. Nice. It's better than you being the one beating up the 14 year olds, right? Like that's that somewhat less honorable. I considered it, but I've been told <laughs> by my employer, I'll probably get fired. So yeah. So no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fight back um, as much as I should have had. Uh, and yeah, a lot of like guns and knives, a lot of craziness, uh, but it definitely prepared me for, um, not being afraid anymore for confrontation and conflict. I feel like the the natural response of a human is to avoid conflict because it's it doesn't feel good. Like you got to be insane to be, for example, a UFC fighter, right? You're putting yourself voluntarily in an environment where you can get you can die. And even with a poker player, it's sort of similar in a way. You're putting yourself in a place where you could lose your money. Like who yeah. actually in their right mind wants to yeah. lose their money? You kind of have to be sort of wacky for that. And I've learned that there's actually a lot of things that you can learn in that conflict situation, whether it's fighting poker player or coaching, where you're always risking conflict. You're always risking that a client might say, well, fuck you, Baman, you go fuck yourself. That's always on the table, right? That option you kind of always have to consider. But uh, there's a lot of great stuff that can happen in that moment of bomb on fuck you. Like a lot of interesting paths we can go on together after that. It opens up a world of opportunities. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, The only questions I had left to ask were those submitted by a member of the Poker in the Ears community. We put a shout out on Discord for people to ask questions. Fuzzy Ferret 83 actually submitted four questions. We've talked about how you got into poker. So let's just deal with the uh, other three questions. Kind of rapid fire round. Uh, Who is or who was your poker idol? Man, I would say uh, Tom Dwan because of the confidence and the, the, the ruthlessness that he was able to express on a table with so many legends and, and experienced players that I, I just purely looked up to his confidence and his posture and his body language was incredible. I had no idea if what he was doing was good enough. I still don't, but it's just is an amazing attitude and posture. Who would your dream heads-up match be against? I'm going to assume not Tom Dwan because he'd probably destroy you. Most likely everybody would destroy me, yes. But I would go... I mean, I'd love to tilt Phil Helmut, man. That would be yeah. amazing. I'd just love to tilt him and then sit back and analyze him and take, get my notebook out and my pen and just write... You write stuff. a fucking book, right? After your heads-up match with Helmut. I love it. Yeah, I love that. I think it's a great choice. A, for the entertainment factor and B, because you'd actually stand a realistic chance of beating him. Uh, and the final question... Uh, the note being that Joe and I love a bit of TV and movie talk. What is your favorite film or TV show that you've watched in the last year? Year? Wow. Um, I'm actually re-watching Fringe. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Fringe. It's a show from J.J. Abrams, a science fiction show. Yeah. Um, and movie... I'm actually not a huge movie guy lately. Uh, it's just... It's kind of lackluster, all of it, that's been coming out. It's, it hasn't been hitting as I wanted to, but I would think, honestly, um, Hotel Hotel Transylvania, too. I'm a big animation guy. 
Do you have kids? No, I am a kid myself. I assume he's the kid. <laughs> he, he he likes the he likes the Adam Sandler horror cartoons. Oh yes, I love Adam Sandler. Yeah, I mean, I'm um, I'm I'm definitely of extremes. I like like the animation and Disney stuff, and I also like the horrible slasher, disgusting movies. Yeah, right. Excellent. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, Fuzzy. Coach, you ready for a dumb game? Uh, any day, of course. All right, well, you know, if you listen to the show, you know that all the guests get tortured by a dumb game for me. And James kind of tipped me off to the fact that you might not be a big movie guy. So we did not do any pop culture related trivia here. This game is called Put Me In, Coach. And it's a trivia quiz about buses. (laughs) All right. About about motor coaches. Let's see how big of a coach you really are. (laughs) Okay. I like it. Question one. They're all multiple choice, by the way. Question one. A standard motor coach is how many feet long by how many feet tall? Is it 45 feet long by 12 feet tall? Is it 65 feet long by 16 feet tall? Is it 25 feet long by 10 feet tall? Or is it 25 feet long by 25 feet tall? That's a box. That... Uh, yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things we have to like establish. I don't. Yes. I, I don't know what a feat is, and second, I don't know what coaches are. So both give me a very big leap in a performance. Co- I would say a, co- a coach. This is good for you to know, just in case there's ever any confusion. A coach is like a big, comfy bus. Bus. Okay. So it makes sense. And then a feet is like how many centimeters? A feet is twenty centimeters. No, uh, thirty. 30, 30 okay. centimeters. So like a, a, it's literally a foot of a human being pretty much then sort of. Yes. That's what it's based on. Foot. Okay. Yes. Uh, apologies right. for the fact that you're dealing with an American who still uses imperial measurement. It's horrible. I don't know where you guys use it. Okay. So I would say the second one sounded reasonable. Was that the, like the 64 thingy? That's 65 feet long by 16 feet tall. That sounds reasonable. If I do like quick European conversions as it's supposed to be globally, uh, then I think it's uh, uh, that sounds reasonable. 16 feet tall just sounds too high for me. That's like the height. Oh, of as me. in this or like as in this? Yeah. As in height. Yes. As height. in height. Height. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty big. That, that that's is... the height of, of three people. Yeah. That's like uh, two. two two-story house or something yeah okay so one i go with one option one One is correct you're on the board sorry about the feet i forgot about that part i'm like i probably hasn't seen it was originally gonna be a quiz about coaches like from tvs and films uh but then i decided to also make it very american with feet okay question (laughs) question number two these they get a little bit more global from here on out i promise which of the following cities has the largest bus network Okay, as far as like city buses are concerned, is it London, England, Mumbai, India, Jakarta, Indonesia, or Vice City, Florida? (laughs) Okay, so Indians love their buses. I know that. Um, I see a lot of buses on YouTube when I watch the Indian food vlogs. That's pretty much all I watch. So if we did a food vlog quiz, then I would crush it. But okay. (laughs) Shit. and I know London has a ton of buses, but they're, I'm not sure if it's like city-wide or if it's like more condensed in like touristic areas or like uh, local, like the, where the residents live. So I'm, I'd have to go with like just a wild card and say Jakarta and just something crazy. 
Jakarta, Indonesia is correct. <laughs> 156 miles of bus lines operating 3,900 buses. Mm, there you go, man. That's I what you're love the way you are analyzing all of these questions and actually reaching logical responses rather than just guessing. Yeah, because let's hope that Coach Bauman attacks our problems in the same manner, right? Yeah. He just, like, just thinks about the various conclusions we could come to. Question number three. In what city was the very first bus line trialed? Ooh. Was it in Paris, France, New York, United States of America, Beijing, China, or Las Vegas, Nevada? <laughs> I don't think America was first in any, regardless <laughs> of what you guys claim. Uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, uh, nah, this one is not it either. It could be it, but I don't think America is the first bus. So we had Paris, which Paris could be it, man. They're, they, they are old city and um they kind of have a lot like i've been there it's it's i'm not a fan but it has a lot of public transportation which is really so it seems like it could could be a lot of experience and okay so the other one was las vegas and the other american city was new york and then we had paris and beijing oh beijing hmm I don't know about the history of Beijing. That's a little bit tricky. I know they're like, sort of, but they had like the big depression and stuff and it was bad in China, so. Okay, I'm calling clock here. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let's go with Paris. Paris is correct. You're three for three. There you go, man. Easy game. In relation to that question four, the innovator behind the first bus in 1662 was which famous French mathematician was it Rene Descartes Blaise Pascal Pierre Simon Laplace or Reginald Voltaire jeez I was hoping some of the guys was named bus or something or like <laughs> okay this is okay this is complete like ran like I can't I have no okay I just go with like um, the Pascal guy sounds okay Blaise Pascal is correct God, what's going on? He's what? running the board. Pascal is the only one I knew for sure was a mathematician because of Pascal's triangle. Descartes was a philosopher, and I'm pretty sure that Reginald Voltaire is not a real person. No, that didn't feel real. <laughs> oh my God, is there a leaderboard something? Can I get some like I mean, or something? I don't know that any, I, maybe only one or two people in the history of this show have gotten all seven questions correct. So you're, you're four for four right now. Don't you're more than set yourself there. up for a mighty fall. Yeah. Oh, man. Possibly. Okay. The all-time record for the longest bus route one could take connected the city of London, England to what other city? Is it London to Paris, London to Moscow, London to Calcutta, or London to Tokyo? Well, just... Okay. Common sense says there's a connection between England and India, colony-wise. So I would, con but it could also be a trap. But I'm going for the, the the Indian option. Calcutta is correct. There you go, man. Come it on, took man. Something like a hundred, 
something like a hundred hours, and uh, it only ran like fifteen times in like the eight or nine years it was available. Well, whatever happens on these last two questions, you're guaranteed a winning score, and it is clear that this coach knows his coaches. He does know coaching. Here we go. Question number six. The bus got its name because the first large-scale coach line terminated at a shop called Omnis Omnibus. What did they sell in this shop? Was it hats, croissants, escargot, or tiny toy buses? <laughs> oh my God, okay. So what did they sell previously until they transitioned to buses? So so the, bu the bus line would, err, the final stop of this bus line ended at a store called Omni's Omnibus. It was not called a bus until wow. this point. Based on the name of that store, it became known as The Bus. Uh -huh. What was sold in the store? It really has nothing to do. Okay. Can I just say that is a great hashtag fun fact, and I did not know that that was the genesis of the word bus. I knew it came from Omnibus, but I didn't know it was because of this store. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So, um, escargot, croissants, and? Hats or tiny toy buses. Okay, so it's Paris, right? It is Paris, yes. Okay, so croissants would make sense, but also a little bit too easy, I think. Tiny toy buses is kind of trolly, so really trolly there. And then we have escargot and oh man, hats. I just feel something with hats, but I'm not sure of my instinct. Yes, well, fucking go with hats. Hats is correct. Oh my God, Jesus. Oh. He's got one question oh, left. Out, man. And I think this one's relatively easy, but I probably shouldn't say that. Here we go. Don't I think this might be a gimme for you. Yeah. So the large bus, AKA the coach, okay? A coach got its name from what? Was it that it originally required a team of drivers guided by a coach? It was invented by a football manager in order to get his team from town to town. It was originally driven by horses like a stagecoach. Mm. Or it's derived from the French word Coachella, which means a large gathering of unwashed losers. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, your option D's in this quiz have been on point. <laughs> yeah, that's a pattern, I feel like. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so we have the horses option. We have the football coach option. And we have the... Coach, coaching the driver guys collective bus. Oh, okay. Um, so I assume this comes from a time period where we still would have had horses pulling carts and like multiple seat carts with. Okay, so the horses then. Horses is correct. You ran the board seven for seven. If that's not an advertisement, for Coach Bauman's business, I don't know what else is. Coached himself to victory on trivia about coaches. Congratulations! Thank you so much. And I mean, I would be, I would be ashamed if I wouldn't be an expert on coaches since I am a coach myself. So I, <laughs> I should have, I should have aced this. It's to be expected. Awesome stuff. Uh, Coach Barman, thank you for joining us on the show today. And as ever, we advise people to check out your work on PokerStars Learn. And of course, a reminder that there are the PokerStars Learn channels on the PokerStars Discord server. So if you want to ask Coach Barman a question directly, go for it. 
Absolutely. I welcome every question about poker mindset or anything else. Uh, so thank you, guys. It's, it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. And I apologize in advance for the number of people who are now going to flood that channel with questions about buses. But in the words of Radiohead, you do it to yourself. I did it to myself. That's right. I welcome questions about buses too. So let's close out this week's show with this week's super fan quiz as we welcome to Poker in the Ears, Scott Barnett. Hello, Scott. How you doing? What's up, Scotty? How you doing? Nice to meet you both. Good to meet you. What's your deal, bro? Tell us about yourself. Um, so I absolutely do not work in IT. Hey, um, I'm right. trend. Um, now, I'm a obviously we have the advantage of a visual reference scott and i have to be honest with you i was leaning 80 percent based on how you look on you working in information technology i was gonna guess that too no i do not i am in sales um i don't always have the beard like this um (laughs) it's due to come out now the hot weather's around so i'll be getting rid of that soon what do you sell so i'm in in the finance world i sell finance to um, the commercial vehicle market you sell finance to the commercial vehicle market. So you go to car dealerships and get them to use your loans system? Basically, that's right, yeah. Cool. How, what, what are car loans at right now? Um, well, the, the cost of money is very expensive compared to what we've seen pre-COVID. Yeah, it's difficult. It's up now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's wow. tough. I didn't expect no more- us to get into the details of economics well, james is looking i think james is in the market for a new car maybe you can get him a better rate on his uh on whatever he he goes you know when his car is ready in three years yeah only well, if he wants a van uh no thank oh. you no thank you uh what was i going to ask you scott i was going to ask what your poker story is what's your relationship with no limit hold'em okay so i am a product of just before the moneymaker era um oh. around that time i got into poker home game a friend of mine introduced me to it i then discovered online and it opened up a new world for me and i've i've sort of never left the game i i have you know periods where i don't play for a while when i run bad um and then but i always find myself coming back to it i started off like i said um, it was my mate fuller that introduced me to it and we used to play most weekends we'd go out friday night play poker and playstation saturday go out Saturday night and then play poker and PlayStation Sunday and then we'd be back in work on Monday. So that's how it all started and here I am still playing. Sounds like a good weekend to me. Uh, We are going to give you the chance to win a Sunday million ticket in this week's Superfan Quiz. Uh, You have chosen the sports comedy Slapshot. (laughs) So the reason for that is I grew up playing ice hockey from the age of about eight years old. Um, I didn't play really any other sports, maybe a bit of golf in the summer, but um, ice hockey was my thing until about four years ago, played and coached. This now, is okay. No offense to you, Scott, because we all um, I, I know that Slapshot is like a is like a seminal movie uh, yeah. for hockey players, kids that grew up with hockey. James, I, I assume you didn't watch this, right? I didn't. And the reason why I put the word or rather I put a question mark at the end of the word comedy, Joe, is I was waiting for your reaction to this film. It it actually, so I remember, so so it's like the third time I watched the first 40 minutes of this movie, which is hilarious, right? Which is like a very, very funny opening 30 or 40 minutes. Now that I've seen the whole thing, and again, Scott, no knock on you because, you know, 
this is one of the most homophobic and sexist movies I have ever seen in my entire life. Like, not just like of its time, like an occasional throwaway comment, like the entire movie is based on making people, like insulting people over them possibly being gay. It's like, and it gets worse and worse as the movie goes along. I think the movie outside of it is kind of boring eventually after the first 30 or 40 minutes. Um, Basically, the whole plot of the movie is we suck at hockey, so we're just going to beat the shit out of people and terrorize them and say awful things to them while we're out on the ice. And I could absolutely see why this movie would have been funny at the time and sort of like, you know, sort of like an outrageous screwball comedy. But I can only imagine how many kids growing up with hockey got shown this movie and then just like perpetuated these awful slurs and stereotypes for the next 20 or 30 years. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It does not age well um, in a similar way to sort of Blazing Saddles, probably, uh, things like that. But it is a cult classic among hockey players, and I think that it always will be. Um, You're absolutely right. The team bus traveling up and down the country from a very young age, it was always played. And, you know, it it is clearly an 18 because of of some of the scenes that are involved, but it, it... you know, hockey players will always watch it. It, it like you said, it is. So to focus on the positive, Paul yeah. Newman is very fucking funny in this movie and plays like a a a, a ba- like a lovable bastard very well. Yeah. And it actually gave it's. I I get. Um, I know this is gonna sound weird, but Norm McDonald, like Paul Newman, reminds me of him a lot for some reason. And I ended up having this crazy intense Norm dream last night too because uh, because of watching Slapshot. Okay. Oh, wow. that- might just be a little bit too much information. Uh, I don't think Patrick was a huge fan of the film either. He has put together a 10-question quiz. Uh, Scott, you know the format. You know how it works. I'm going to need a number between 1 and 10. Always going to be 7. Let's start with number 7. What song did Reggie the Coach demand the organist not ever play again? Lady of Spain. Lady of Spain is the correct answer for two points. James, now, I would have answered Spanish lady to that. Would you have given it to me? Of course I'm just not. wondering. Jimmy the Bastard's in the house, Joey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I imagine this is going to be pretty fresh in your memory, so this could be close. Any number other than seven, Joe? Uh, it is always coming nearly half seven. Three, please. Three. What team do the Chiefs play in the first game shown in the movie? Uh, they, th- I'm just going to go for here. They play Hyannisport. They play who? Sorry? Hyannisport. What's the name of the team? Oh, like the, the mascots? Like the, well, not where they're from? Yes. I'll need the choices, I guess. Okay. Do they play the Flames, the Presidents, the Jets, or the Red Devils? I, I guess the Jets? No, it was the Presidents. And we're on to the second round. I'll take two, please. Which U.S. state is the film set and filmed in? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is the correct answer for two points. Joe, seven, two, and three all gone. Uh, One. What jersey number does Reggie, the coach, wear? He is number seven. It is always coming seven. You're on the board with two points. Okay, Scott, next question. Nine, please. Question number nine. Nice, easy one. Name the actor who plays Reggie. 
Paul Newman. For two points. It's all about that question selection, Joe. Pick of the draw, luck of the draw. Unbelievable. Uh, four, five, six, eight, or ten? Ten. How much was the bounty that Reggie put on Tim McCracken? $100. Correct, for two points. And that brings us to the penultimate round. Four, five, six, or eight, Scott? I'll take six, please. Question six. Who directed the film? George Roy. Please tell me that every single one of Patrick's options has George Roy something. I will take the options. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to adapt on the fly. Is it George Roy Rosson, George Roy Hill, George Roy Pitt, or George Roy Petrie? I think it's George Roy Hill. It is for one point. Nice. Okay, and with Scott dropping a point there, Joe, this gets you back in the game. Let's see if you can get two here. Four, five, or eight? Five, please. Which U.S. state was the team rumored to be sold to? Oh, Florida. Florida wow. for two points. Okay, that was as easy as the Paul Newman question. I okay, yeah. I don't feel, all, balances cheated. all yeah. balances out. Okay, four, eight. Eight, four. Those are your options. I'll take eight. Which country was Oggie Oglethorpe deported to? Canada. Canada for two points. And Joe, your final question is question number four. Uh, what is the last name of the three brothers that the team signed? Oh, the Hanson brothers. The Hanson for two points. So actually, it was pretty close in the end. Uh, a one-point margin of victory, Woo! Scott. Nine to eight. <laughs> Uh, congratulations, you are a winner. You have conquered this game of Superfan versus Stapes. The Sunday Million ticket is yours, and we'll send you some Pokestar swag as well. I really appreciate you having me on, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate would, everything uh, you do for the community as well. Really do. Thank you, Scott. And I would I would send Scott away with an insult from the movie, but I'll get cancelled because they're <laughs> all really, really terrible. It's not 1977 anymore, Joe. Uh, no, thanks sure for sparing the time today, Scott. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. Bye, Scotty. All right, my babies, that's just about all the time we have got for this week's show. And it is going to be a short little run of podcasts this time around. Not one, but two episodes, because next week it's our EPT Monte Carlo preview show we will be talking about the streaming schedule looking forward to going back to monaco for yeah. the first time in a couple of years um it's, yeah so we'll have a break from the podcast at least because there'll be uh what is it six days of live coverage five days five days of live coverage and then only a one week hiatus though because as soon as we're back from Monte Carlo. We'll be back into the routine of streaming Scoop three days a week, podcast on a Thursday, which is then released on a Friday. So it'll be the same pattern that we adopted during WCOOP. But yeah, we'll talk about the streaming schedule and we'll talk about who's coming out, who's going to be on those streams in terms of commentators. Great. Um, but like you, I'm looking forward to it. And actually, it'll have been three years since we were last in Monte Carlo. Hell yeah. Like I said, all, all these places we're going to, you, they're all fresh again, no matter how yeah. jaded we were before. Happy to see all these places again. I'm also very happy to be speaking to next week's guest. 
Well, we're going to do our best because there will be a slight language barrier. Not sure. I don't want to put this guy through the ringer too much, but we first saw him on YouTube. Then we saw him win a GPI Poker Award. Then he was a standout on the EPT Prague live stream last month. We're having poker vlogger Masato Yokosawa on the show next week. He seems like a really fun happening dude. Really glad to have him on the show, and hopefully we can have a good chat with him. I think his English is pretty good. Uh, I would probably shy away from doing a complicated game yeah, for him. Probably. Um, but look, you guys know that we have the PokerStars Discord server. Link in the podcast description. We have dedicated podcast channels. So please suggest some questions for Masato, who's next week's guest, uh, just as you did with Coach Barman this week. And also, you can continue applying for Superfan versus Stapes. We try and book people as far in advance as possible. So next week, for example, is booked up. I think the first couple of weeks of May are booked up. Uh, I'm sorry about next week, Joe. The special subject is the Book of Boba Fett. Oh, that's okay. I've already watched it. I mean, it's not like I'm going to sit there and watch it again. So, um, and I, I don't think Patrick's going to watch it again either. But sorry, Patrick, you're going to, are you doing the questions? Who's doing them? Oh, it'll be Patrick. Okay. Sorry, Patrick. Anyway, that is all the time we have got for this week's show. Reminder, coming up next week, it's the EPT Monte Carlo preview show. But until then, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Spell you later. Spell you later.